And we're live. Here we are, back at it again, our third episode of I Should Know This with Joey and Ellie. Um, Joey's right here. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It... Wait, was it my turn to ask you a question this time? It is, but should we save um, all of our like, business stuff for the end? Or should we say it just right? I guess I'll say it now. Yeah, let's just get it done. So, like we said last time, we've really appreciated all the feedback that everybody that's listened has given us. Um, a few things, so everybody knows it. We're going to try and record and post an episode every week on Sunday. So you can expect... 6 a.m. <laughs> 6 a.m., maybe 8 a.m., maybe 10 a.m. Definitely by 10 a.m. By the end of the day. And uh, you can expect it then. That's one thing. And then the other thing is that we're going to post a link to an anonymous Google form on the show links so that you can give your uninhibited, yeah, your uninhibited feedback. Um, and we would really appreciate it. And then there'll also be a portion where you can just submit a question you might have that you want us to use as a topic. Exactly. What else was there? I think that was it. That's it? Yeah, I think so. All right, so we're going to get right into it. <laughs> Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. Are you more nervous than last time? Uh, a little bit. So we're recording this at a decent hour when hopefully nobody else is awake. It's not 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. But you ready? Are you yeah. nervous yet? So my question is something that we you should know. Oh, God. It's based on recent events. It's based on recent events within the last couple of years, let's say. So I have I have a couple of these devices. They all have they all have the same thing in common. So let's think about a drone, or let's think about a booster board, or we just got to ride in somebody's Model Three Performance Tesla. Um, my question is, can you explain? an electric motor and how they work. And I don't know if you want to give some of the backstory to them or why they're becoming more popular or how they're being used in all these different devices. Anything to to cover some of that. I thought it might be a, a fun question because it's, you know, it's in my Mavic. It's in my, it's in my electric yeah. skateboard. Okay, so... Um... <laughs> I can give some of the history about it first. So DC Motors, I believe DC is electric motors. Not I mean, AC? I guess it's, you could call it an AC motor too, but it's like electric motors have been around, I think, longer than combustion motors, which is what gasoline motors are. What? I didn't know that. Um, but there was no efficient way of storing power for their use. Um, but you do see like the places that you've seen electric motors up until now are like, um, trains or subways because there was an easy way to, uh, have power coming from, you know, a, a, a grid and you had constant contact of the metal on metal to conduct that energy into the train to make it move and subways and everything are DC motors which is direct current so also i forgot to mention that this goes back to my childhood days so i was all about having a gas-powered rc car 
because you wanted it to explode if you got in a crash that partial no i don't want it to explode it was all my money i was okay. like 15 but uh i wanted it to sound loud and i liked how fast they went because they had crazy good top speed and then my brother got an electric rc car and he destroyed me off the line but yeah. we'll go into maybe. well the acceleration is the key for electric motors yeah um but okay so they they used combustion because at the time it was much easier um to find different things like diesel and gasoline to run those motors than um to try and figure out how to get um a battery in cars because battery technology wasn't great and i'm sure you know more about that because it's chemistry but part of the reason that tesla was so innovative was not the fact that they were using an electric motor, but it was the fact that they found a way to um, store so much energy in a small amount of space in a, an affordable way. And I've always said this, but none of the technology that Tesla uses for their motor is like secret. It's what they use in their batteries that is so valuable. Well, interestingly enough, though, there was a person that did a teardown of a Tesla motor, and they said that the way that it's designed is so, maybe not simplistic, but so well utilized. It's efficient, for sure. And I mean, I'm it sure. creates such a good torque mm -hmm. um, curve that it crushes everything. But they also said the design was impeccable. I'm not knocking on sure. that, but that information... And I remember telling you this, that the part of the car that made it the most expensive was the battery. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, um, it's also the biggest thing. It takes up the whole floor. And I think that the Tesla end game is not the car, but it's being able to sell the solar panels and then the batteries alongside that to residential environments because that's where you can make a ton of money. And sure. you don't have all of the, like manufacturing costs that you see in the car industry i just realized i forgot one device that is probably one of my favorites the dyson the dyson oh my god but that technology is insane yeah i just <laughs> i remember it's there was something i just read that said it's the fastest motor in the world well they're doing an electric car as well it makes sense um but the biggest thing that dyson did was figure out how to use um, like cyclical or centripetal air in the same way they do in silos to um, to suck the grain out. Or I don't know if it's silos, but it's something that they used in like farming industry and he developed it for vacuums. Yeah, it was like industrial applications. If there's a how I made this, how, how I, I built, built this. this podcast that has that episode, maybe we'll link it below. We definitely will, and that was such a good episode. If, <laughs> you're, a, a... if you're a nerd, it's such a good episode. Well, and if you want to hear, learn how to persevere through failure, you know, he designed it a million times, and then he finally got it right, but after he spent every penny he had or something to that effect. But anyways, so how do you feel about electric motors as far as how they work? And Yeah, so I'm going to tiptoe around the, how they work because I think I have an idea of how they work and I'm afraid of making a fool of myself. Something spins, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure um, well, there's a mechanism that induces a magnetic field that then forces um, 
like a toroid or some cylindrical I asked thing this with the to spin very quickly. And, and that's, I'm pretty, I'm almost positive that that's what it is. Um, does that make sense? Maybe, maybe say it for idiots like me. Well, it's just like, you know how when you have um, a magnet, there's one way that it like sticks together and then the other way it repels. Sure. So if you have something that's a magnet that's spinning, whatever's inside of it is constantly going to be trying getting to the, the side that it's most attracted to. And that's why it's gonna also spin. Yeah, that's right. And you just need a battery to start the spin, but after that, they kind of like they just induce each other spinning, if that makes sense. And all you would need to do at that point is neutralize the positive or negative and stop it. But once you get it, it's just the starting that would take up the most battery. Then after that, it kind of like keeps going. It doesn't create energy, but it's very efficient. You don't need a lot of power to keep it going. Yeah. What about what about types of electric motors? Because are there are there just one type? Because I mean, I, I've always heard brushless, but is there a brushed? I think the brushes are or... part of that positive and negative. So if I remember correctly, there was like a lot of little like metal hairs, and okay. that's what they would call a brush. And those are conducting. You know what I mean? Those are either positive or negative and making everything spin together. And it just allows you. Because if you think about having a ton of different hairs, it's giving you a lot more surface area sure. than if it's just a smooth surface going around. Well, it's 2018 and everybody says brushless motors. And I'm thinking, when when did I see a brush motor? So, Well, you would, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you'd see it in like a subway because that's like the oldest. That was like token example that they used for DC motors. And I'm pretty sure there are AC motors as well, but there's a reason that they don't use them. Wait, so if Because it takes a while, I think, for it to accelerate. If I'm visiting San Francisco and I'm on one of those cars with the the cables above, mm -hmm. how does that work? Is it just delivering the electricity to the car for the wheels to spin? So that's it's kind of outside of the wheelhouse of this. That's but. traction power. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's what's used in rail. You can do it with um, what is it called? It starts with a, K a C. Kinetic. I'm no. Uh, um, <laughs> wow. Uh, oh man, I can't believe I can't remember. But combustion. No, you can either use a third rail, which is what you see in the subway, and some light rails use it. Okay. Um, but the problem with third rail is that it's it's charged, like it's it has voltage running through it. So if somebody steps on it, they'll die. So a lot of times in light rails, they use the overhead wires because they can have people walking under it without worrying. And then the, um, the train itself has like a bar coming up that has that metal on the end, and that's what's making contact with the, the wire that's going down. I can't believe I can't remember the name of that. I yeah, want to say fine. cantilever, but it's not that. It's, um, damn, I can't, I can't remember the it'll, name it'll of what it's called. Maybe. But if yeah, not, that's where well, the contact happens. Okay. And sometimes they'll use a third rail for parts of it and that for other parts of it because there are areas where they don't have the overhead clearance, but they don't, they know people won't be crossing or they can conceal it enough so that if someone steps on it, they won't get electrocuted. Sure. So like they'll do a little L that goes into it. I have a question about the, the IP67 rating then. 
for example, wait, that's the one with the water with like iPhones and whatnot, right? <laughs> okay, maybe we're not going to get into too much detail. So I have my electric skateboard. It was pouring on Friday. I drove through some massive puddles and it didn't die. It just gave me all these errors saying that I couldn't drive it. The motors weren't spinning. Do you think it was because the motors got wet? Because the battery wasn't wet or was it like maybe the, the wireless module? What do you think it was? I think that when it comes to water, the biggest issue is not the motors, but the circuitry. So it's always going to be that, um, well, salt water specifically is corrosive, but if there's water, water, if there's, so water can conduct electricity. So the way that your circuit is doing that when it's dry is just where there's soldered metal. Um, so when you add water to a circuit, you're going to end up getting charge going to a, like a place that it's not meant to be, that it's not directed to. Sure. So that's why like with your phones and stuff, if it gets wet, if you can dry it out completely, you could still use it, but it needs to dry out completely first or else you can, you can basically short the circuit board. And once you short the circuit board, it will almost never be able to be fixed. And shorting is connecting positive and negative. Shorting is where like there is something stopping too much power from going to one place, like a resistor or something like that, and it was totally taken out. So you basically just formed a wire from one spot to another, and then that device... You bypass the good stuff that You bypass makes it safe. the regulating parts of the circuit. Got it. So you provide too much power to a component, and it then doesn't take it breaks. It's not rated for it. Got it. But I think, I don't know what the IP67 rating, like what it's actually specifying needs to happen, but I'm assuming they Mm. must put something resistive on the board so that it can withstand water to a certain extent. Sure. So uh, back to electric motors. Yeah. But I answered so well. I don't know. Do you feel like there's anything you need to add? So, I mean, basically it's like a casing, right? There's like a shell outside, and then there's all the internals, and then there's usually like a pin that sticks out of it, right? And that's the thing that's spinning, and then inside you basically have magnets on the shell and then magnets on an internal piece, and then there's a coil of wires or something. I don't know if you have to have a coil of wires. That's what I remember it, and it's like most rudimentary form. Okay. Um, But... Yeah, what you just explained is basically what I think is happening. So I'm an expert. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know more about it than the everyday person, for Mm -hmm. sure. But I think the thing is, like, I think that whatever spinning, it can be whatever form you choose it to be. I think for the motor, they found that that's the best thing for, like, the axle. Got it. Um, Do we have anything else to add? I really just want to look up that one thing, the name of the traction power thing for a light rail because I'm really upset I can't remember it and okay. I had to write so many reports on that well while you're doing that I thought it would be fun to to make this an interactive fact checking exercise because and I'll ask you about it in a second but there's something you could do with your hands that related to motors or generators and I remembered this ish can I say what it is yeah please it's a catenary system what did i say i said cantilever and i was like catenary sure okay so does this sound familiar at all the handedness 
and generators and power and all of that. Doing something with your hand? It's like an exercise you can do with your hand. Oh, the three fingers the for three magnetic fingers. force? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Go for it. So hold out your hand. Oh, but I... <laughs> I don't remember what each thing was for, but you make an L like loser, and then you stick your middle finger out so it's perpendicular with your index. And that basically does the X, Y, Z axis for you. So point all fingers out straight, and then fold your middle finger in halfway. Yeah. So, oh, I, mean, I have it in front of me. So I you can, can say it, it. I know that when one force is going one way, it basically induces the force in the other two or something like that. So the thumb represents the thrust or the motion. Mm -hmm. The pointer finger represents the magnetic field. Mm -hmm. Any guess what the last one is? The electric field? I don't know. The current. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And it's called Fleming's left hand rule. Oh, I did it with my right hand. Weird. <laughs> Actually, I remember in physics, our teacher was like, if you're a lefty, don't forget to let go of your pencil. Because for righties, they could still have the pencil in their hand and do the trick. But lefties would notoriously use their right hand for it and get it wrong. Well, because if you do it with your right hand, that's the rules for a generator. Another topic for another day. Okay. But I thought that would be, I thought that'd be a fun question because it's... A we'll post a picture... We'll link to a picture of what this looks like. This isn't going to be all links. I know, but I think one of the things we talked about was like giving people resources to look up more stuff if they wanted to, and they didn't have to jump back and remember what it was. Well, I like this topic because I thought electric motors are super relevant nowadays, and then being a lefty, I'm playing favorites. <laughs> well, do you want to fact check me? I guess I could. So we could do some fascinating facts, sure. which we did some. So Dyson, their motor turns at 104,000 RPM revolutions per minute. That's insane. What is that in reference to a combustion motor or a Tesla? A combustion car is 6,000. Maybe in a performance car, it's 12,000 RPM. This is insanely faster. So she was right when she said they were DC motors. There was the ring armature that played a big role in that. The first commercially successful DC motor was in 1871. Was it right even... that there were electric ones before combustion ones? I mean, that sounds right. In 1855... Actually, I don't think so because I think the steam engine was the first one. Okay. Okay. But that's steam. That's not necessarily combustion. The AC motors also followed in 1824. So the components of a motor are the rotor. Um, this turns the shaft. There's the bearings that allows it to spin on the axis. There's the stator, which is the stationary part of the motor's circuitry. And then there's the air gap. There's windlings, which are wires that are laid in coils, usually wrapped around a laminated soft. Iron magnetic core, so as to form magnetic poles when energized with current. There's the commutator. Um, it's used to switch the input of most DC machines and certain AC machines. And then they all get powered by batteries, etc. 
So I knew it pretty well, right? Yeah. I give you a, a good rating. I thought you were gonna give me a grade, like a percentage. I was going to, but then you're gonna ask me a more difficult question because of that. <laughs> That's not true. So. I think my question is pretty simple. Oh boy. Well, um, I have my laptop in front of me, so we're good to go. What? You're, you can't Google it. I know, I'm just kidding. Oh. Okay. So I want to shout out to, um, who was it? I think my dad first asked me this question and I gave him my best answer, oh, no. but I don't know if I was right. And I think I kind of knew it, which means that you'll definitely know it. That's not necessarily true. You're good at trivia. This could be very... It's not trivia. But, but it I... could stem from trivia. <laughs> okay. So the question is, um, normally when cooking heat is obviously the thing that like cooks meat through and cooks eggs through um, that takes them from raw to what we quote unquote consider as cooked and I guess the, well, I think they are cooked the question that I have <laughs> is how is like cold cooking so how people make ceviche or like it's they like basically cook things with vinegar and how that mean how you can still call something cook when cooked when no heat is applied to it and like what that process is so we're talking primarily with meats then right I, or eggs cuz don't people cook it yeah i was considering a meat and egg i guess because okay. it was once a living organism no i maybe? don't mean like no, i'm just kidding yeah i don't mean like um baking if that's what you're referring to yeah, I was going to ask, I don't know that you can cold cook bread or something. If that's a topic, then I don't know the answer. But if we're talking about eggs and meats and whatnot, well, I, did, I might know. Maybe I'll add it at the end, but I did see something when I was trying. One of the things that we're trying is looking up the facts before we ask it, so you don't have to hear us looking it up. But um, I saw this thing called cryogenic cooking, too. Which I don't think is the same thing as uh, vinegar. Isn't that freezing? Well, so you're I, cooking it by freezing it? I can look at it. I guess you're sterilizing it. So I think <laughs> I think the first part is like, okay, cooking, it's doing, it's doing certain things that bring flavors out, blah, blah, blah. But it also, in a lot of ways, is de-sterilizing, or sorry, sterilizing things. Sure. So like when people cook stuff in alcohol, or I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but like when something's in alcohol, it's obviously sterile, right? Sure. But I guess that, let's go back to the first question, which is really like, how can something cook without heat? So I'll, I'll start with the egg. Okay. And I mean, everything that relates to the egg is going to relate across the board for anything with protein in it. Okay. So if you want to take that I'm not going to cover all the different I'm not going to cover chicken versus pork if I talk about the egg it all it all kind of correlates okay so you crack open egg it's liquid right yeah all the proteins they're imagine a tightly bound coil like a tightly bound ball of um a, what do you call it a ball of yarn imagine a tightly bound ball of yarn right mm -hmm. that's what all the proteins and eggs are when they're in that liquid state. When you start heating them up, like in a pan, imagine that ball of yarn, you're starting to untangle it. Denaturing, right? Exactly. So you're, 
technically speaking. I'll, I'll just let you finish it off from here. So you're basically <laughs> untangling slash denaturing um, the proteins. But why does that happen with heat? How does it? Why does it untangle with just heat? Just kinetic energy. So heat is kinetic energy. It's causing more bouncing and movement. It's like increasing the. So it it so uncoils because it's of the turbulence it's feeling because the heat is breaking the bonds okay that the proteins forming okay so what you're basically doing is it's going from its primary to its second no sorry we're going from i don't want to be an idiot so it's going you have to be wrong about <laughs> at least one part of it i know <laughs> um so you're basically taking it from its original the quaternary structure where it's a ball of yarn okay and then you're and that's where a ball of yarn is very a tightly knit ball of yarn and then you're denaturing slash detangling it okay. and that's going when it's loose when it's becoming kind of detangled that's the tertiary structure when it's mostly detangled that's the secondary structure and then when it's basically a loose set of strands that are very far from each other that's the primary structure okay and when it's weird that its natural state is labeled as the what is it cool i think you're right you definitely detangle it yeah Why i know, I know that i'm just trying nature no exactly. but i'm just saying that te the terminology is counterintuitive because you would think that if the untangled strands is labeled as its primary, that that would be its natural state. No, because the primary is... It's just the most simple. Yeah, it's like in its early form. So there's like very simple proteins mm -hmm. and then they can get more complicated. So when you heat it, it detangles, but then it gets to a point where the energy is so high that it wants to retangle and then they interweave with each other. So all those... It's imagine taking now... Um, pasta from one bowl and pasta from another bowl then you mix them together they're going to start to intertwine with each other mm -hmm. and then that's how you get that that structure that becomes solid so it goes when you from get the heated eggs. being separated little balls of yarn to then being strands and then if you continue to heat it if you continue to cause turbulence then they start to retangle with each other yeah so they're going to interlock with all the different strands from the different balls of yarn because there's not one protein in that egg. It's not just one protein. There's many, there's hundreds of thousands, hundreds, if not thousands, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an egg scientist, but I do know some factoids about eggs. Um, there's many proteins. So all the proteins are denaturing, becoming that very loose ball of yarn. And then they're retangling to become a very tight knit ball of yarn. And that's how you get that final product of like a cooked, white. Yeah, a cooked egg, whether it's scrambled or over easy or whatever your liking is. Now, if you're doing something like a poached egg, part of the trick is when you heat the water, you don't have to heat it to a boiling temperature if you have vinegar going into it because the vinegar is doing the same thing where it's denaturing the proteins, it's causing that clumping effect, so it's causing them... But how does the vinegar break down the protein bonds? So it's because it's so acidic. Yeah. So proteins and acid don't like each other. So it causes turbulence, but in a different way. Because there's all of the 
Okay, I only know this because Joey explained to me what makes something acidic, but it's the fact that it has a lot of hydrogen ions. Yes. So it's releasing a lot of activity with those ions, and those are, that's what's breaking down the protein bonds. So with vinegar, it's using it. It's using a chemistry. It's using yeah the acid. So the acid, in a way, is like corrosive, and it's breaking down the protein bonds. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to say, think of the best way to put it. So you're using heat as one source and you're using acid as another source. And those are the two ways that you're cooking the eggs. So that's when you're poaching it. But you could feasibly cook an egg in vinegar alone. Because that's what they do when they make like mayonnaise and Caesar dressing so that it doesn't have um, foodborne illnesses in it. Yeah, so with enough acid, you can do it. But then at that point, when you're when you're doing poached eggs with water, you're not going to get any of the vinegar qualities because it's just slightly helping to accelerate the process of making a cooked egg. Mm -hmm. But if you take a lot of vinegar and you add it just to an egg, you're going to get those flavors of the vinegar in the egg. And obviously, vinegar eggs aren't selling in any <laughs> restaurants. I don't think. I mean, you can no, but it does tell go into that, like. But... It does go into like mayo and Caesar dressing, sure. but I guess that I don't know this and you might not know it, but when you only use vinegar and you're eliminating foodborne illnesses, I'm pretty sure it's still raw in the sense that it doesn't solidify from a liquid to a solid like eggs do when they're exposed to heat. It's like, um, I don't know if it's white or not, but it's still liquid after you only have it in vinegar. So that second part that's happening when the heat is put on an egg that you described where they're retightening and stuff and forming that solid doesn't happen with vinegar alone. Yeah, I mean, I've never tried to cook eggs with vinegar. I think I'm a decent egg <laughs> egg maker. I get some shout outs at, at birthday parties or family get-togethers to make known, eggs. But, you're known for your eggs, that's but for sure. But I do not make my eggs with any kind of vinegar, so I wouldn't know about cooking with vinegar alone, but... But relating it to like the ceviche or to something like that, that's where they use vinegar instead of heat for fish. Is that just because fish is so easy to overcook and with vinegar you're not going to do that? Is it just for the flavor mix, I guess? So this, I think, goes a little bit more into the realm of what a food scientist or maybe even a chef would know. Oh, okay. I can't answer this with confidence. But the same thing is Not happening. Not that I can answer an egg. Right, so it's still going <laughs> to denature to a certain extent for meats just like it does with eggs. Yeah. I mean, the, the difference between like an egg is that it's basically not uh, a protein fibrous like fish or pork or steak. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more malleable. Whereas when you have like those fibrous proteins... They're a little bit harder. They're more structured. So there's going to be less things that affect them. Okay. You want to see if denaturing was the right word? It definitely is. But I guess one of the questions I had was, okay, so um, this is just a question of acid and bases, but can you cook things in alcohol? Are you uh, fact-checking this? or I, I... Yeah, I have it. Oh, okay. But can you cook things in alcohol? Yeah, or is that could, not acidic enough? I cook tons of things in alcohol. Are you kidding? No, but Flambe, without heat. Without are, heat. Jeez, whipped cream? 
Um, no, you wouldn't cook things with alcohol because... Whipped cream isn't cooked, is it? No. I was thinking of like my maple bourbon whipped cream that we put in our pumpkin pie. Okay. It's, it's almost Thanksgiving season, so I'm excited. Um, so usually the, the reality with alcohol is that it's... Is it acidic? I don't think so. No, it would be more basic. Okay. I would imagine we can save that for another day. Um, okay, I think I got it. Denaturing is definitely the right word, and its heat can be used to disrupt hydrogen bonds and non-polar hydrophobic interactions. Hydrophobic means oil-loving or water-heating. So that's what heat is doing, and alcohol disrupts hydrogen bonding as well in the secondary protein structure. So that's what you were talking about before. I think you need to be a little bit, you need a little more detail because you're losing me in some of this. You're saying Do it you want to from... read it? Because it has, it basically tells you how heat does it, how alcohol does it, how acids do it, and then I guess heavy metal salts can do it too. I've never thought about using heavy metal salts. Can you, do you want to look at it? So it says, denaturation of proteins involves the disruption and possible destruction of both the secondary and tertiary structure. So you're basically taking that secondary, which is like the semi-tangled, and then the more tangled is the tertiary um, ball of yarn. Um, since denaturation reactions are not strong enough to break the peptide bonds, the primary structure, which is just basically the strands, of the very loose strands of um, the balls of yarn, they remain the same after a denaturation process. Denaturation disrupts the normal uh, helix and the sheets in a protein and uncoils it into a random shape. And then heat increases the kinetic energy and causes the molecules to vibrate so rapidly and violently that the bonds are disrupted, the protein eggs denature and coagulate during cooking. But then it says well, how, what acid does. And what alcohol does. So I'll link it, um, but I think that that makes sense. I didn't look up anything for eggs specifically because I didn't know that that's what you were going to use. But... What about the ceviche? Did you find any good details about... It says about... that it breaks stuff down. It breaks tissue down to make them more tender with tough cuts. Yeah, because you're basically breaking down some of those simpler bonds. Mm -hmm. So you're not breaking down the fibers themselves, but... Between the fibers, you can break some of those bonds, making it... It's like slow cooking in the same way. You're not breaking down the tissue, because that would make it into mush. You're just breaking down some of those bonds, collecting those fibers Yeah, together. and it says using acids in marinades are not just for flavor, but also it reduces the cooking time because it's jump-starting the protein breakdown process. It's like when you take um, sugar and you add it to onions to help the caramelization process. You initiate it with just a little bit of sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a mention here about ceviche also. Um, it, it just talks about how it's an ancient way of cooking with citrus juice. Um, and that might have been because the they didn't have as much access to things like um, heat and it's stored really well because there's like preservatives. I mean, they weren't cavemen. They had access to heat, right? I'm just trying to read it. <laughs> <laughs>
Jeez. I don't know. Let's see. It just talks about how it's a tradition in seafood areas. Um, and they, it says that they were making it nearly 700 years before any European influence in these, like, um, Jeez. these areas like the Philippines and in um, Spanish colonized area. Um, it says it was refreshing on the palate. I mean, it followed those those flavors that you see in a lot of those areas. It doesn't necessarily say why they did it. Um, yeah, and then let me see if I... Do, do we want to jump into cryogenic cooking? It's basically saying liquid nitrogen can transform oil, berries, and even hamburgers. Jeez. Um, and it's a Scientific American article. So I'll post it, but it basically says that up until recently... The coldest thing that you could get was like dry ice. Yeah. And now there's. Well, there's nitrogen. People are doing well, not cooking. Well, I guess it's cooking, but they're making ice cream with nitrogen. Yeah, it's just that it's an exciting new tool, new tool, liquid nitrogen for transforming food in a fun and surprising way. Cryo shattered cheese. Wow. <laughs> I like I'll your topic. It. Yeah. That was I liked good. your topic. I think mine was better than yours. Oh, geez. I'm just kidding. It's not a competition, Jelly. I know. I think, to summarize, get a Dyson before <laughs> you get a Tesla, because the motor is faster and more powerful and cheaper. Invest in good batteries. And invest in good batteries. And don't submerge the batteries or the if motors. If you do, dry it out. Just like But I, I don't do. think it's the motor, once again. <laughs> But we didn't look that up. We didn't fact check that. Well, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was right, what I said. And if you're making poached eggs, the summary is cook them with a little bit of vinegar. You won't get any flavor from the vinegar. It'll just help the process. My grandma always used to say, too, if you're making hard-boiled eggs and you accidentally crack it and you don't want the white to spill out, if you add a little vinegar to the water, it'll just form a little bubble. Yeah. That's, that's part of the trick. <laughs> and what else? I think that's it. If you guys have any thoughts, leave comments in the Google anonymous <laughs> message board thingy. Yeah. And. Or if it's like a specific question for one of us, how do we make sure we don't see the questions that they want to ask before? Or we can just have a, a running list. Yeah, a specific episode. My list is running. Yeah, we know, Jelly. And we will see you guys in a week. Yep. Thanks for checking out. Thanks for listening. Rate us, like us, love us, subscribe. <laughs> That's Olive barking. She wants to go for a walk. So we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Do, 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 do. <laughs> this was I Should Know This with Joey and Ellie. <laughs>